Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. Today's episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Mahdi Yahya, CEO and founder of Ori Industries. Mahdi is an entrepreneur, investor, and former telecommunications executive who spent over 10 years building networks in data centers across the globe. In this interview, Mahdi articulates his ambitious vision for bringing cloud-native technology to the edge and building a new kind of cloud with the ability to power and scale the new internet. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by the generous sponsorship of Catchpoint, NetFoundry, Ori Industries, Packet, Seagate, Vapor.io, and Zenlayer. The featured sponsor of this episode of Over the Edge is Zenlayer. Improving user experience doesn't have to be complicated or expensive. Zenlayer helps you lower latency with on-demand edge services in over 150 POPs around the world. Find out how you can improve your user's experience today at zenlayer.com edge. And now, please enjoy this interview between Mahdi Yahya, CEO and founder of Ori Industries, and your host, Matt Trefiro. Hi, this is Matt Trefiro, CMO of Edge Infrastructure Company Vapor.io and co-chair of the Linux Foundation State of the Edge Project. Today, I'm here with Mahdi Yahya, founder and CEO of Ori Industries. We're going to talk about Mahdi's career in technology and his mission to build a new layer of flexible, software-driven, intelligent infrastructure at Ori. Hi, Mahdi. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Doing terrific. A uh, little, little fatigued from the COVID lockdown and the kids at school. Yeah, I know. I understand. It's everywhere, I guess. Where are you uh, dialing in from? Uh, I'm based in London. Based in London, okay. And uh, has Ori Industries always been headquartered out of London? Yeah, yeah. So when uh, we started the company about two years ago, yeah, we started that from London. I've I've been based in London for about ten years now, so a lot of the work I do. Yeah. So let's let's go back in time a little bit. So how did you even get into technology? Technology in general, I think I was the first kid in school that had a computer, actually. So that was my first you know, journey into technology. And I was always been obsessed and interested in tech in general. I used to take things apart, take all the toys apart, see what's in them. And then I was the first kid that actually had internet in school. So I've always been involved in the whole internet and technology world from a very early age. I actually made a killing from just renting my PC at home to the other kids in school to have internet. Was an IBM PC your first computer? It was it was a Compaq. A Compaq, yeah. Yeah. They're quite decent machines. Yeah. And what do you what do you mean renting it? You you were you you had a cloud back then? <laughs> no, it's just to rent time for kids because some kids never seen internet before and some of them has never sat on a computer before. So I used to have video games on my MS DOS and you know, I used to charge them per the hour to sit and play on my computer now. So So always been an entrepreneur. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. And when did edge computing come on your radar? When did you first start thinking about Edge? Oh, I mean, Edge, I think it's something I stumbled into from my work in the telecommunication industry at one point. But I started going into Edge probably around four or five years ago. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can talk about how we actually got into it. I mean, there's a there's a long long background story to be, to be honest in that. Yeah, and I, I'm super interested. I I know that uh, prior to founding Ori, you spent quite a bit of time operating a telecom and networking company in Beirut, as I understand it. So maybe we could start there, and you could lead into the evolution of, of Ori. So uh, I can talk about how I got into the telecoms world actually to begin with. So in Beirut, especially after the civil war ended and that's when I I was growing up at that period there wasn't infrastructure yet in place so people didn't really have landlines didn't definitely have mobile so there used to be something called a coal shop and every um, neighborhood used to have a coal shop where people who needed to make phone calls they used to go to that coal shop and make a phone call and naturally because you're coming out of a civil war there was a lot of people who traveled so there was a lot of people in the US a lot of Lebanese in the US lots of people in Canada in Europe in Africa so there were so many relatives that needed to talk to each other so these phone like these coal shops used to be quite popular and it was a good business uh, and my father owned one of them so uh, i started working there as a teenager. It's like the precursor to the internet cafe almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it, it was a place, you know, they had a counter, you walk in and 
somebody gives you a phone number on a piece of paper. I say, can you dial this? My son in, in Canada, I'd like to talk to them. Uh, and then you should basically dial the number for them. And you had a timer. So you put the timer on when people pick up. And there used to be this little phone booth on the side. So you can transfer the call to one of the phone booth and say, hey, you can go and talk in number one, number two. It was quite fun. But obviously, for me, I was really interested in seeing, okay, how does this work? So I know like, I can dial the number on this device in front of me, but how does this whole thing work, right? How do, how do we connect all these people? And that was be the beginning of my journey in telecoms and networking and, and all of this world. Because like, What year was this approximately? Um, this was in 1994, 95, I'd say. Uh, okay, so the internet was around, but... The browser was still a, a science project and yeah. It took some time to come to Lebanon, all of these things, because of the infrastructure was not there. So even though it's, a few things were around in the in the outside world, like in other places of the world, but it took some time to come to Lebanon because the infrastructure was still being built. I mean, the civil war ended in, 19, uh, in 90, in the 90s, so 1990. But this is where I started understanding that, okay, these, you deal with these outside companies that supply you with lines and... One of the companies that my dad's call shop used to have a contract with that supplied them with satellite connectivity so that you can make international calls was actually based in London. I came with them on a business trip to meet these companies. And this was the first time I come to London. So I fell in love with the city since then. That's why I moved here. But also it was the first time I go into a company, into an actual company with people and desks and phone calls and numbers and, and papers and people in suits. Um, and I and I was I also was obsessed with that. And I was like, this is so exciting. What is this thing? Like, what is and, um, you know, it's a company. And um, since then, I thought, you know, when I when the time comes, I'm gonna start one of these companies, these carriers. And that's what I did. So um, Sama, my, the the first company, was a, a wholesale carrier that does exactly that. I love it. And that was the starting point for me. I I was about 21 years old, and. I decided to start a company like the one I saw when I was a teenager. It's a great story. I mean, yeah, yeah, to have such unbounded ambitions and the sort of presence of mind to invest the time and energy to make something real at that age, at 21. Uh, I know what most people were doing at 21, <laughs> at least most of my peers. Yeah. That's, that's really terrific. And so what was this, what was this company? I mean, just like the company, what was it called? What, is it still around? Yeah, I mean, it's still around to this day. I'm not, I'm not part of that company anymore i'm not involved in it um but it was um what you call a wholesale carrier so you build pops around the world and you connect them with um you know fiber and, and, and multiple ways of connecting them and you basically move traffic between different networks so you sell wholesale capacities to networks we primarily were focused on voice traffic and sms traffic so we're basically shifting a lot of voice and sms traffic through our routes and our, our networks and we became really good at it and you supply routes to mobile operators to fixed line operators to retailers like call shops as well who don't have access so you basically supply them with these lines and they're able to make phone, uh, international phone calls and then through the network you route these phone calls, wherever they're going to the world. So there's a lot of intelligence that had to be built within the network as well that allows to know, okay, this person is calling the US, this person is calling this network in Vodafone London, for example, and so forth. And you charge for that. Uh, but at one point, we became one of the largest in the Middle East actually doing that. So we were moving about a billion voice minutes a year at one point and over about 3 billion SMSs through our routes. And that business is what basically taught me what a data center is and how data centers work and how data centers get connected and peering and interconnection and, and all of this world that is now a big part of Edge as well. But that was my, my start in this space. And I did that for about, say, seven years of my life as that company. Yeah, that's really, that's really quite a story. So, so you built this telecom network. I, mean, I want to come back. We'll come back to talk about networking because uh, you're right. It is very important at, at the edge. But I want to. I want our listeners to understand what Ori is. So in 2017, you founded Ori. What led you to the founding of Ori? So, in the telecom space, um, I'd say about probably seven years, seven six years ago, there's been a big shift in the telco space. And you know, the, especially if you're in the voice business, you you're making a lot of money at one point. I mean, the company were making in excess of 200 million revenues per year. And you think life is good. People are not going to stop communicating. People are not going to stop making phone calls, right? Who, who would think that? Like, these people are going to stop communicating. 
right? <laughs> I can't remember the last time I made a traditional phone call. Yeah. Right. I know. I know. But then suddenly, and you, I mean, you know these stories, right? You've seen everyone and everyone talks about it. You know, all these revenues started dropping, not, not yearly, month on month. And you're like, what's going on? Right. What happened? And, um, you know, so I naturally, me being curious about what's going on and how these things are happening, how's the world changing? I, I looked around and if you, there were two giants that were growing around us, right? The public clouds from one side, and you have all of these applications. Um, I mean, not just the applications you today, but all of these OTT applications, as they call them, over-the-top applications, you know, like the WhatsApps of the world and Skype and Viber and WeChat and hundreds of them. There's so many of them now who do like voice over IP connectivity that does not really need all of this infrastructure of networks. And the, the most ironic thing is, is that we as the telco industry invested over like $4 trillion in 4G infrastructure, thinking that this is what's going to be the next thing. And this is what's going to, but this infrastructure actually powered all of that. So the market shift and the market power moved to these two different sides, but at the big, at the middle, the, the cost of maintaining all of that stayed the same. And that affected all of us. So for me, I, I actually stood there and I was looking and I looked at the side and I saw like, there's hundreds of these applications that are there. And, and if I'm going to be doing something else, I don't think I will go into that space and compete with the WhatsApps of the world or anyone like that. But then I looked on the right side and there's like three or four companies only who are doing this and own this big market that is growing around us. And obviously Edge was starting to surface. People talking about Edge. I mean, people talking about Edge for a very long time, but people started talking more about Edge with now with 5G and everything else. And that's where I started thinking about, okay, cloud is not going to end there. There's going to be another chapter for that. And it's only going to grow because of the way things are growing, because of all of these applications. And it's going to become massive and big. And it's not going to be on its own. It's going to need this infrastructure that we're building now or building next. So that was the beginning of my thinking about how can I utilize what I have now, what I know now in this industry, in the telecommunication industry, and use all of these cloud stuff, the cloud native stuff that are growing on the side and create something new. And that was the beginning of my thinking for Ori. It took some time to actually realize, okay, there's Edge. How can we do it? How can we apply cloud native technology to the Edge, virtualization of networks and so forth, and then put it all together into a company we call today Ori Industries. Let's walk through that. I mean, what is your product? What is it? What are the parts of it and who uses it and how do they use it? So on the surface, there's a new internet today, right? And you talk about it specifically. I've seen you talk about it before. I've seen you write about it, the new internet. Um, there's, there's three main categories in this internet. We call it, there's an autonomous internet, right? Machines that need to make decisions on their own, and machines that need to communicate quickly with each other, right? There is um, an immersive internet where it's virtual worlds that we interact with on a daily basis. And there's a smart internet like hospitals, cities, factories that are extremely intelligent and autonomous today. And this internet requires a, a new cloud to deal with and a new cloud to power and to be able to deliver and scale it. So as already, we position ourselves and we are actually, we're building this new cloud that will allow us to power and scale this new internet. As a product, we're, we're a cloud. We have cloud products on top. We allow application developers to deploy across thousands of edge computing nodes that we host in mobile operators, in ISPs, in telco networks, in edge data centers, in metro data centers at the moment. And we're building a fabric, uh, which we call Ori Global Edge or OGE, that allows us to provision all of this infrastructure, allows us to add a lot of intelligence in it, and allows us to build products on top, whether it's a container orchestration product or VM products or functions or even later on multiple different products that we're thinking of allows us to basically start moving all of these products across one unified fabric over all of this infrastructure that we're building. Got it. So if I can, if I can unpack some of that, uh, tell me if, if I've got this right. So when we think about a cloud, we think about being able to go to a dashboard or to programmatically request resources that are global, right? And in the case of like Azure or Amazon, I say, I want to uh, I want an EC2 instance in US West and an EC2 instance in US, US East. And a couple seconds go by and I've got two virtual machines or whatever I, I ordered. And it sounds like what you're doing is something very similar, yeah. but you're doing it at thousands of locations. Is that 
And those locations are much farther out in the network. They're not in these large centralized data centers. They're out in, as you said, metro data centers in, you know, adjacent to the access network, like really in that service provider zone that we talk about at, at the Linux Foundation. Yeah, exactly. We actually, we to, to, be, to allow us to actually tackle all of this, because as you know, this is a huge space and it's filled with snowflakes everywhere and it requires a lot of work, a lot of thinking, and it requires a lot of automation. And that's a big thing that we constantly try and do with is that we need to automate as much as possible so that we're able to access all of that and we're able to actually provision it in the right way. But we, we divide it into um, three main layers. Uh, there's something we call a Metro Edge Cloud, and I think the, the name defines it. And it's basically everything that is in Metro data centers or in metropolitan areas. And that's a layer we're building at the moment. So we're actually placing servers in metro, metro data centers. We're primarily doing that in Europe so far because we're based here and we've had work with Edge Connects and we're having works with, with new data centers now where we're placing uh, in strategic places. The second layer underneath that, we call it a central edge cloud. And that's primarily in telco central offices. And this is where we start moving from the edges of the public internet and going into the telcos, the ISPs, and everyone who's connectivity. Yeah, and for those people that don't know a central office, it's essentially a historical aggregation point in a metro area. And more often than not, they're a little closer to the access edge than a regional, but it depends on the geography. I mean, sometimes they're like literally next to each other, but it is it is part of the historical telco infrastructure. Correct. And the interesting and the reason we're able to actually utilize these today is because uh, a lot of them are being transformed into actual micro data centers. So power, connectivity, cooling, whatever you would find in data centers, telcos are actually doing that today. And primarily for 5G and the adoption of 5G and, and virtualizing of the networks. So there is a big chance for us to actually put generic compute servers there and run different functions in there rather than just network functions as they're doing. Yeah, and the other important thing, uh, and I mean, I mean, didn't mean to interrupt you, uh, Mahdi, but the other important thing is that those are backhaul aggregation points for the telco network, which means that you, which is really, you know, you think about the edge, you know, we like to talk about the edge is as much a network problem as it is a, where do I put my server and my, and my, my storage problem? I mean, it's definitely a network problem that that is being solved today, right? It's because um, placing servers in multiple locations, you can do that today, and you can provision or you can run stuff on the. But how do you connect them all together? How do you can, uh, how do you network? How do you dynamically route things between them? Is a big, big challenge, and it's the exciting challenge about edge, I think. Yeah. So, so you have the metro, the metro cloud and the central cloud, and there's a third one you said. And the third one is what we call a local cloud, and that's what sits on the access layer of the telcos. And that would be the one that will happen in the future. It's not fully happening now. Uh, and that is dependent on where the telcos are in, in their strategy and virtualization, adopting virtual RAN, radio access networks, and adopting ORAN, and, and, and all of these different technologies that are coming up now. But that's the furthest layer you can get to in the network before you get to the user devices. And we call that a local edge cloud. And we're starting to build these different layers in phases. So we started with the Metro, Metro Edge uh, since last year. We have six major locations in Europe today that we're running customer workloads on. We've been running a lot of pilots recently and for quite a long time now, actually. But in telco years, it's a very short, like, recent time in central locations. And the third layer is, is roadmap for us to start running there once the infrastructure is ready. We call this an, the edge gradient. And there's multiple qualities of service, obviously, on each of these layers and in each of, on one of these gradient. There's multiple types of hardware you can put there because the footprint gets smaller as you go down, down, the, further down the edge of the telco space. And it serves different applications. So Ori Global Edge OGE is actually the fabric that allows us to provision all of this gradient, allows us to start moving workloads across it in a dynamic way, and allows us to move things up the gradient scale for for, for example, applications are quite compute heavy and for other applications that are a bit less, more nimble, that require a more edge or can sit on the edge or require different quality of service that sits on the edge. Not necessarily, I'm not just talking about latency. I mean, latency is a big factor of that and we measure latency as we go up the gradient or down the gradient, but there's different applications that we're working with today that are not really latency sensitive, but they're more 
geographic placement of data sensitive, for example. So where do they want to place the data? Where does the data need to be uh, processed within a certain proximity of where it's being generated? And that's quite, I think, is an interesting use case recently we've come across in Edge. So our platform allows this dynamic orchestration across all of this gradient, and we can start basically offering applications, multiple locations, based on what they need from a quality of service, but also financially as well. Because the more you go down the gradient, the less the network cost in certain way, and you're not paying for backhaul. I mean, you were talking about where central office is a backhaul. We can reduce costs on the backhaul if we move things down further, further down to the edge. Obviously, you'll have more cost in compute and different places, but the backhaul becomes less expensive in that space. And that's what we're trying to tackle at the moment. Yeah, and, and what few people realize is that if you look at the network infrastructure that connects those three layers of the gradient, each of those backhaul links is oversubscribed. <laughs> and, and yeah, and a tremendous amount of congestion. And so just pushing something out that reduces the amount of the amount of network capacity required in the metro region to process the data is is huge. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So so let, let's talk let's talk about a few things. Okay. So so this gradient, okay. This gradient that spans the the region, the the market. The metropolitan market, and you divide it into these, I think, really clear um, distinctions. And obviously, they overlap. There's, you know, there's a lot of fuzziness there, but each of them will have a distinct service level. And I appreciate that you pointed out that it's not just latency, because I think a lot of us in the edge industry, and I was guilty of this, really harped on latency. But at the, you know, the span of, of sub fifty miles, sub hundred miles, you know, latency is is often negligible you know, the time it spends like writing to the disk drive or, or processing it. So there are some applications that require really low latency. I mean, driving the, the, the remote radio head in a 5G network from a virtual function, for example, it's, you know, it's very, very latency sensitive, but a lot of things aren't as latency sensitive. So I appreciate you bringing up sort of some of these other concerns. So let's talk about the data, the data example. So what's, can you describe like a, like a real world use case that's generating data where it's, it's important to keep that data you know, off of a large part of the of the backhaul network and process it in the the lo- is it the local the local zone the local cloud. I mean, local even even central office depending on even central cloud. Yeah. So how so? Give me an example of, of one where that's an important distinction to make. So I mean, in Europe we have something called GDPR, for example, at the moment. You know, so there are certain organizations um, like healthcare organizations or hospital organizations within regulations they really can't move the patient data or the data outside the premises or within a certain kilometer radius of where that data is generated or entered and stored as well from regulations. So a lot of them have to invest in on-premise hardware and infrastructure so that they can do that locally because they can't be saved in a third-party place or in, in, in these clouds, in public clouds, as, as most people do to these days. And that's actually a, a real-life use case we worked with as part of a um, there's something called Innovate UK here in the, in the government where you basically work with you know, government organizations and government has funding for those. And, and we, we did a bid for that. You do R&D projects within that space. Our role was we're working with a local telco who has an edge node that is within that geographical location where this data needs to be saved and stored and accessed whenever it needs to be. It reduces cost on these healthcare organizations from running on-premise infrastructure, from building an actual server room, uh, from hiring an IT infrastructure team that needs to run that, I mean, you know, and putting all the software that needs to do that and everything else. And then basically they can just focus on what they're doing and the same service they would get from being running on-premise, they could have that as a service from an edge cloud that is in the region within the local telco in there. And we were the platform that was uh, basically um, facilitating that. And that's why I say it was a fascinating thing that I didn't think of until we started working in this. It's a big trend. In the US, um, we've started calling it near-prem. So there's on-prem and there's near-prem. Right, because you're, if you're 20 or 30 kilometers from the hospital, you probably can conform to the GDPR guidelines or the policies of the facility, but you're right. Take all that CapEx out, take a lot of the OpEx out, and, and have the capabilities of cloud, you know, some on-demand scalability, you know, things like that. So that's, yeah, that's a really, I was surprised by that use case too, although in retrospect, it's sort of obvious, right? It's like such a, such a huge value proposition. Yeah, our CEO, Cole Crawford, it's a little flippant, but it's kind of a fun statement. And I think there's some truth to it. He says, look, the killer app for Edge is a cost and the easy button. 
And, and essentially, to some extent, that is what the Ori Global Edge Cloud is, right? It's, you know, it's a lower cost way of getting, solving for these edge compute problems, whether it's latency or local localization of data or whatnot, you know, and to do it easily. So, okay, so you're building all these cloud-like abstraction layers across these three, this gradient and all of that. And at some point, you know, your customers might not see a lot of this, but when you peel the covers off, there's hardware underneath that. Are you deploying that hardware? Are you partnering with other companies that, you know, bare metal providers or leasing companies or something? How, how, is you, how are you actually de- getting your cloud up and running globally? So in metro locations, we are, we're deploying that hardware and we run our own MPLS network across all of these locations at the moment. We, we have a fantastic team that does that. We've been doing that for a very long time. Um, I think you're interviewing one of the guys who runs this team next week, I think. Super. I'll have a lot. Of, I'll be knowledgeable. <laughs> he did that for one of the hyperscalers. So he, he brought in a lot of that knowledge and he's helping us scale a lot. And he built the infrastructure team that is basically looking after all of this. On the central and local layers, it depends on the discussions and the partnerships and the agreements we have with each local telco. So... Some of them, as you know, have already an edge strategy. Some of them are deploying edge. Some of them are working with certain partners on edge and, and basically building edge clouds. Some of them are early in their journey. So it depends on where they are in the journey, how much investment are they willing to make into this. We can bring our own hardware into there. And for us, it's the same as a metro location. And we just connect it to our network and we partner with them on different other things. If they have their own hardware, then we also use that. And basically our OGE fabric can talk to that and provision that hardware and add it to the rest of our cloud as well. Okay, well, that, that's a perfect segue into my next question, which is, um, so let's, um, let's fast forward and imagine you've got, I don't know, 100 global telcos as partners. Okay, each of them was, as you point out, a different edge strategy potentially. Uh, even if they're like similar, they're still different. How do you make that easy for your customers to consume? Because somebody might have a GPU-heavy strategy and somebody else might have a, you know, I don't know. So, so yes, so t- tell me about, you know, that the, the word is federated and I talked to you before the show about defining that. But yeah, why don't, why don't you walk us through how you view that world and what kinds of tools you see bringing to your customers to help make that easier to navigate? So for application developers as as customers, they don't have to worry about any of that. So they don't deal with this. They really don't know what's ticking underneath. And that's part of our proposition. You know, you deploy in a cloud and we take care of everything else. Working with telcos, and we do actually have a product for telcos that we've been working with them on. And it's a product called Helix. We haven't announced it yet, actually. but We'll be announcing this soon. Our developer-facing product is actually called Edge Crane, and we'll announce that soon as well. But Helix, our product, is primarily a slice of OGE that basically we give to the telcos, and it allows them to build local edge clouds. And these local edge clouds gives them the tools to sell to their enterprise customers. Because working a lot with the telcos, we realize that they have a lot of enterprise customers that... Yeah, they have the sales team in the regions, yeah. Exactly. They have the sales teams that we don't have yet, but they also have large, large enterprise customers that would benefit a lot from Edge. And for us to build the business case for them, we had to actually show them how they can sell that to their enterprise customers and how they can basically increase revenues from their existing enterprise customers through selling Edge solutions. So we built them this product, which allows them effectively to build a central or a local Edge cloud or both. And part of the work we're doing with them is that We're helping them build these central edge clouds. We're giving them the tools to actually sell edge services like any cloud, like a local cloud in their their, uh, local geographies. But also part of the partnership is that it gives us access to OG, Ori Global Edge, to actually deploy to these local clouds. So by doing this, we're kind of unifying a bit and we're standardizing a bit how these local edge clouds are looking, how do these local uh, edge clouds interact. So it makes it easier for us to eventually link them all together and work on top of them or work with them to basically deploy applications from global developers to that. We talk about federation. For us, federation is a multiple number of helixes within different telcos. So a helix in uh, AT&T could, could talk to a helix in BT in the UK, and a helix in Telefonica can talk to a helix in Vodafone as a product, as a platform. And we create converged APIs between all of these multiple local clouds that the telcos are building because we said, look, even if your customer wants to reach global reach, then your customer can have the capabilities to deploy 
applications in BT's network if you're a customer of Vodafone through these platforms talking together through converged APIs at the moment. And this is exactly what I used to do in the wholesale world, in the telco wholesale, because we used to federate, right? A customer in BT calling a customer in AT&T in the US, we had to federate between them so that these customers be able to make phone calls and talk to each other. So this is the idea. This is where the idea came from in the first place. And I said, hey, why can't we do that with cloud workloads, with edge workloads? Maybe we can do that. So a, a platform in BT's network can actually make a request through a platform in AT&T's network and deploy a workload there for a customer in, in, uh, for BT. And Within that federation, there are billing, there is, there is settlements, there's all of these different things that we used to do in the wholesale world anyway in an automated way. And that's what federation is for us. So all of these different platforms and different telcos can actually talk to each other and create a network between each other and serve customers globally, even they are local customers for local telcos. Yeah, it's really clear that you've built something analogous to the past because you mentioned billing and settlement. Of course. Because, you know, there, 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 isn't, there isn't a developer on the planet that thinks about that or wants to deal with that. They don't have to. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> but that's what I say. I stumbled upon Edge because of where I was and because of the history of what I've done in the telco space, you know. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about the, the global developer because I think that that's one of the most exciting things which is, you know, particularly for smaller countries that have maybe one or two telco networks that aren't large enough on their own to attract some of the bespoke programming for whatever, whatever unique edge strategy they have. And so the ability to develop for the OGE platform and simply deploy my application and have you know, your system do the hard work of figuring out, well, how do I run it here? So how, do, how does that work? I mean, how do I, how do I, how do I tell Ori what resources I need? And what if those resources aren't available at the level that I'm requesting them? Like, how does, how does that, all that magic work? It's like any other cloud. So you can define regions. You can say, I want my application to run in, in these geographies, in these regions, or I want it to run globally, wherever OGE has presence, please run it there whenever it's needed. At the moment, we offer containers. So you can run a container across our platform and we basically deploy it wherever it's needed. The, the unique thing that we're building in the platform, and that's something we've we spent a lot of resources on and we still are, we're building a lot of intelligence in terms of Eventually, we should be able to tell where to place the container at the right time, even before sometimes a request is coming. So when requests and demands start coming from users in certain geographies, then we spin up a container in the right edge location that can comply with the different manifests that a developer says. So I said, I want this type of latency. I want this quality of service. I want all of these different things. I see. So there's a declarative manifest that says, you know, like this is a hospital workload. I need to be within 100 kilometers of this latitude, longitude or something. Exactly. And and we basically spin that container up wherever it's needed based on this manifest that the customer defines. There's some enterprise customers that we're starting to work with today. I mean, they don't have manifests or anything like that. So they have certain requirements that we put in. Uh, but we're working more and more towards making it even more intelligent so that eventually you don't really need to give us a manifest. You know, we'll place it in the right place based on the type of application that you're running, uh, whether it's an IoT application or a gaming application, or as you said, it's a healthcare application. And we know all of that. And we'll be able to place it in these right locations whenever it's needed, whenever the demand is coming from the users. That's really cool. And so you mentioned that you're on the on the timeline where you've started to deploy the metro cloud what do you see the the from a time perspective where you start you know fleshing out the different cloud layers and when do you think the gradient will be complete in i don't know the top world cities so we we're going to start having central cloud gradient ready for production uh, mid next year so that's when that's the target so in june we are having central locations ready for production not as many as we want but we will have a few where we can start uh, moving some of our existing developer workloads in Metro to these locations. On the local level, uh, I don't think that's going to happen before 2023, to be honest. And that's basically because of the timeline for adoption of 5G, because that would lead to the adoption of distributed core, that will lead to the adoption of ORAN or VRAN in telecommunication networks, which will allow us then to build local clouds there. We've run a few tests and pilots at the access layer with a few telcos, but it's still very early on because 
it's not just about placing the computer there underneath a base station, as, as some people imagine. As you said, there's a lot of networking involved to be done, and there's a lot of integration with the network, with the user plane traffic, because being in a network allows us to basically get a lot of data about how the users are reacting, where are the users, and everything else. And we need to make use of that so that we can build more intelligence into our platform as well. And the local edge layer is all about that. So there's much more to be done yet on the network layer before we can even just place servers there and run production workloads in that space. Okay, a couple of other questions. I have a lot of questions. Go ahead. So you call yourself a cloud provider. There are other cloud providers, Amazon, IBM, Oracle, Google, Microsoft. How do you see Ori Industries relating to those other clouds? Uh, I mean, we're just like another cloud like them. It just happens that they're much bigger at the moment. <laughs> That's it. I, I, you know, I, I, I just love the fact that, you know, I started a telecom network. I'm going to start a cloud. Why not? <laughs> it, it's, it's thrilling to hear you have so much confidence. But there is an opportunity. You know, if, if you know the telecom world really well, I mean, there is an opportunity right now. And my focus is to seize that opportunity. And I'm working with all of the telcos because I know them. I've worked with them for a very long time. I've worked with them from the outside, you know, in wholesale, in, in federation, and all of these things that we can apply to Edge. So I'm trying to apply all of the knowledge. You understand the customer a lot better than... Exactly. That's really interesting. So, and, and it's working. And, and, and it's not, it's, it's been working so far. And, and we're gaining a lot of traction. We're working with a lot of telcos. You know, we're part of this uh, group under the GSMA now that has about 44 telcos and we're defining standards there as well. So we're defining... What is the group? It's the OPG. It's the Operator Platform Group that was set up under GSMA. There's been announcements about it uh, everywhere and we, we're, we're releasing the first set of standards pretty soon. And there is a willingness to work and to build a federation and to do all of these things that we are actually pursuing and suggesting. So I'm quite optimistic that we can do this actually. Yeah, and, and there certainly is an opportunity. I mean, the, the window's not gonna be open forever, but there is definitely an opportunity to get ahead of people in the edge world. So let's talk more about the telco. So for years, Every time you heard edge computing in telco, you would almost hear Etsy Mac, which used to be mobile edge computing, now multi-asset edge computing in the next sentence. How do you view Etsy Mac and how do you relate to it? I mean, it's, we, uh, we comply with some of the Etsy Mac standards on the telco local level. So when Helix gets deployed in a telco, uh, you know, our, our telco product, uh, there are elements of it that complies with that because a lot of the telcos adopted these standards and they're adopting these standards with, you know, how they deal with VNFs and VNF orchestration. So we do comply with that. Um, we, we did not build our platform on these standards. There's elements of that that we comply to that allows us to basically talk to whatever the telcos have if, it, if it's compliant with Etsy Mac. I think it's a good initiative. I think it was a bit premature, to be honest, to go in and just put all of these standards now for, for Mac but I think it did actually open doors and a lot of conversations for telcos into that space. And that's where I see the value from it primarily. Well, and it's also evolved to, you know, originally it was really ambitious, like it was going to be a cloud, right? And it came out of the Nokia liquid apps and, and all of that. And I think people realized that's just not, the telcos aren't going to be successful. That. So it's become more of an API, which I think is a, a really sensible way to go because this opaque telecom equipment, <laughs> you know, to translate it into something that developers understand and cloud makers understand really makes a lot of sense. And, and it, made, it made our conversations with telcos easier. They're already down the path. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the biggest value that, that they, they've done in this uh, space. So as telcos move to 5G, one of the biggest trends, as you know, is virtualizing your network, you know, running these network functions on white box computers that could be cloud computers. Do you see a world where a telco could actually deploy its network functions on, on uh, you know, Ori's Global edge? I wouldn't dismiss it, but I don't think it's something we're pursuing at the moment. <laughs> that's for year four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult, you know, logistically, uh, politically, and all of that. But, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all cloud workloads. <laughs> it's the same. It's an application. But yeah. There are people who do that today, and we're not, we don't want to try and compete with them. I think the value today is getting these developers because building an edge native developer community is a big thing and we're all working towards that 
in the end, right? Because that's where we create the demand for the market. And the moment we create the demand for the market, then we can scale the market from an infrastructure side, from a platform side, from whatever we're doing, what you're doing, what everyone else is doing. So the market for VNFs and orchestra, it's, it's there. I mean, telcos are doing it. There's a few vendors who do that, and, and they're happy with that. That doesn't mean they might be happy for forever, but they're happy with that today. And I don't think that that's where the value of Edge is at this stage. So our focus isn't to create that and not go after VNFs for now. So if I was if I was a developer or maybe you know a young woman or man in university, and I wanted to become an Edge native developer because I watched my older peers become mobile developers and get wildly rich, you know, nine years ago. Where would you suggest they go? What would you suggest they do? The to be fair, the resources are not that clear out there yet. And I think we have a responsibility to actually make that clearer and start growing that. But uh, I mean, you know, there's initiatives like LF Edge at the moment in the Linux Foundation that is actually working towards that um, state of the edge that you've you've shared, you've shared and you you initiated as well, which I think is quite a useful thing that a part of the LF Edge now as well. But it was a good way to start that developer community. As we start growing, and not just us, a lot of different companies, there's going to be a lot of material out there about how you build your application across us, and I can start seeing that. You know, in the in some of the application, some of the companies' documentations, and there's some blogs about that now. So, this is where eventually people will start basically learning about Edge, and that's how the big clouds did it. Um, we still need to demonstrate the value of the gradient because Metro is great, but once we start going out of Metro, that's where actually Edge native will start because Metro is still it's on the border of cloud native slash Edge native, right? And in order to do that, the technology needs to be a bit more ready to be able to actually demonstrate the capabilities of it, demonstrate the value of it, and then we can start communicating that and educating all of these new developers of what's happening there. What is your view uh, to the wired last mile? In the, land, the landline, we call it landline. Yeah, landline, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we we work with the mobile and landline alike. Most of the companies are doing both now anyway, <laughs> at least in the US. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it doesn't make a big difference to us. And... Um, some applications would run much better on a land uh, landline in broadband, for example, rather than on mobile as well. So for us, telcos are all of these networks. They're mobile, they're landline. Um, you know, we're working with a provider here in the UK, one of the biggest landline providers in the UK, and it's all on their broadband and landline network, what they're trying to do with Edge. Yeah, you know, what's, what's interesting, and I want to see if you have a theory on this, is I think when you speak to the ecosystem about Edge computing, Nine times out of 10, if you're not talking to on-premises people, if you're talking to people that are looking at it from a cloud and you know, full gradient perspective, most of them are thinking 5G. And yet you and I both know that I mean, you can do this over, over LTE, you can do this over, over fiber, you can do it over DSL, you can do all these things. You know, a lot of the applications that are counting on some of the more full-featured aspects of 5G, so you know, the massive number of devices, you know, network slices, things like that, you actually can do most, if not all of that, short of mobility over fiber or other kind of wireline. Why do you think 5G seems to have been the catalyst for edge computing when it's been possible? So there's a marketing element involved from the telcos and from the vendors who are selling 5G, right? Because there was a time when telcos hear about edge and they say, okay, what's the value of edge for us? Are we going to make more money or new revenues from new applications. Great, we want that. Uh, it's going to reduce our backhaul costs. Fantastic, we want that. And it's going to make the experience for our users much better. Also, we want that as well. So there was a ma- marketing element, I think primarily from the vendors, where they said, oh, you want Edge? Adopt, our, adopt 5G because 5G will make Edge possible. But also there's, um, there's something true to it, and it's, it has nothing to do with 5G being faster. So, I mean, internet is fast today. I can load a video easily and I can watch it with, with not interruption. But I think it, it, it's a technical element where, you know, we were talking about virtualization, network virtualization, turning a lot of these central offices into micro data centers of the network. And primarily this investment in virtualization is because, because of 5G, because 5G drives virtualization, because you, know, you start running network functions through software over generic hardware. Um, so 
for edge to work really well, especially in the telecom space, you need a lot of these infrastructures in place and all of these changes in place. And 5G is driving these changes. So this is where I see the value of 5G for edge is because it accelerated a lot of these changes on the legacy networks so that it allows us to start running workloads where we need them to run on the network in an efficient and, and, and a clever way. Yeah, I, I think I agree with your theory that that a lot of it is marketing. That's really interesting. As a marketer, I, I never really gave it that much thought because there is a lot of concentration and billions of dollars of investment and you know, people are searching for the business models. And at the same time, you're, you know, there's some underlying technologies, you know, container orchestration, Kubernetes, things like that, that have made a lot of these things more uh, increasingly not easier to do, but certainly from you know, the understructure for doing these things in easier ways is coming about. And uh, the growth of AI is giving us something to do with this, all this sensor data, which, you know, I think, you know, five years ago, y- y- what would you have done with it, right? You know, some, some, you know, uh, <laughs> you know some, some big data stack that would run overnight. So that is, that is really interesting. The marketing element was really a catalyst. So if you can help us sort of cut through the hype a little bit, what do you see? I mean, when you're looking at your business evolving and you look at the edge infrastructure and the whole ecosystem because it really is going to take all of us working in concert to make this happen what do you what are the milestones that you're looking for looking out you know the next three years what's most important to you so uh, i think the first milestone that we're looking at from from an infrastructure perspective is um the adoption of um you know virtual run because this will allow us to actually go into the, the far edge where we need to go, where we want to go, where we can show the value eventually of what edge is. And this, that's your local cloud, essentially? That's our local cloud, yeah. Okay, got it. And that's a milestone we're working towards. And uh, you know, we, we, we have plans for and how we're going to do it and how our software will interact with that and how our software will interact with the network and so forth. And that's a major milestone. Uh, the central cloud, we've already done a lot of work on that, and it's it's pretty obvious of how it's going to happen. Uh, it's just a matter of time in that space. The second milestone, and I think it's going to be the biggest trend in Edge soon, is in intelligence. Like, how do you make these platforms more intelligent? Because in public clouds today, where you have all the servers are fairly unified, they run the same type of platform on top, and yes, there's a lot of intelligence there. The clouds are building a lot of type products that are really intelligent there but when you go to this distributed infrastructure over this vast geography the game is different and how do you interact with networks how does the network like you know how do you route things how do you basically move workloads from one place to the next based on demand based on user traffic and that's a really really exciting challenge to solve and to work on and i think that would be the biggest driver and it's a it's going to be a big trend for a lot of players moving forward in edge as well and for us to fully crack that is going to be uh, the next milestone for us in the next 2 years that we're working towards are you using any any open source technologies to develop your cloud well we use kubernetes yes okay and does that mean that if I'm a Kubernetes developer, developing for the Ori cloud would be very familiar to me? Uh, for sure. So, I mean, you, if you're familiar with the Kubernetes APIs, then you can develop against them and you can run uh, your workloads against them. And are you doing things like building a custom scheduler that introduces the kind of quality of service um, or SLA type? Yeah, I mean, uh, underneath and around Kubernetes, there's a lot of custom parts that we're building, even within the Kubernetes framework. So internally, we use Kubernetes APIs, and basically we're building different custom things inside it. But we're using Kubernetes as a framework to allow us to give the seamless experience for the developers. But also, it's I mean, it's a great technology as well. So it helped us a lot, and it allows us to move quicker. Well, I also think it starts to answer the question I asked a little little while ago, which was, if I want to be an edge-native developer, where do I go? And I certainly think the Linux Foundation with the combination of the CNCF and some of the Kubernetes edge working groups and some of just the core stuff, but also you know, the, the LFAs, that there's a, there is a, a growing developer community that at some point, I think, will start calling itself an edge-native developer community. They, they haven't quite adopted that, but I think, I think they're thinking that way. I mean, we, we're, we're trying to actually get people to start calling themselves that because that's the only way we, where you can start getting people to ask questions because 
how do you get things to grow? You you create something that will make people ask questions because people say, oh, well, what's an edge native developer community? And then they'll go and research it and they'll find about it. Or what's an edge native developer in general? Uh, and this is where like, ah, oh, I can relate to that. Maybe I can start building to that. And I think it's a really important thing to do as an edge community is to actually build that name so that people ask questions. What is it? And by asking questions, they'll adopt it eventually. We actually uh, are hosting our first developer event in November called Edgehog Day. Edgehog, I love it. Yeah, so our, our mascot is called Edgehog, actually. Uh, it's a hedgehog, as you know. And uh, we've invited a lot of the current customers that we're working with to come and actually talk at the event about their edge experience. So we're starting to push and try and build the edge native developer ex- uh, community in, in this space. Yeah, well, I, I won't ask you to commit to it live on an, on an interview, but uh, I would love to have you write an opinion piece on edge native development for this year's State of the Edge book, because I think it's, it's a really interesting topic and you've thought about it a lot and speak very articulately about it. For sure, for sure. I'd love to. Yeah, so um, I want to wrap up a little bit, but I have, I have a couple of last questions. Um, so I, the first one is, what's the origin of the name Ori? Ori Industries. Kind of a cool name, but I, what's, the, what's the origin? So when we were thinking about the name, we kept thinking about our platform as this biological fabric, like DNA, that can actually talk to different types of hardware and compute and build this common language between all of these different components across the globe. So, And then while I was researching inside biology and DNA, the origin of replication in DNA is actually called ORI. It uh, it also explains the you know the nod to biology in some of your product names. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's really neat. So if if um, if people want to want to go to this developer conference, where can they find out more about it? Uh, so we we have a website that is um, launching uh, next week, edgehogday.com. Okay, edgehogday. Terrific. Go to edgehogday.com. You can register and you can come and listen to us. You can listen to our telco partners, and you can listen to some of the developers that are currently developing on our platform. Oh, that's great. And and if people want to find out more about Ori, where do they go? Just go to our website, ori.co. Awesome. And and Maddie, you personally, if people want to find you online, uh, where do you hang out? I'm on uh, Twitter, so it's at Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I-Y, my name. Uh, and uh, you can go on LinkedIn as well. So if you search my name, you can find me on LinkedIn for sure. Yeah, uh, Mahdi, this has been a terrific interview. I really enjoyed spending this hour with you. I, I love your your panoptic vision for your company. It's it's so much fun to see an unbounded entrepreneur. You know, you have to be a little crazy to to succeed. To go into Edge, I think you have to be a little crazy, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're a good crazy, though. Uh, So thank you very much for spending time with us. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of the Magnificent Seven. Vapor.io, Packet, Seagate, Catchpoint, Ori Industries, Zenlayer, and NetFoundry. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to subscribe rate five stars and review, and share the show with someone you know who might enjoy it. To get in touch with the show, email us at team at overtheedgepodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Zenlayer's Global Edge cloud platform lets you improve digital experiences for your users instantly. You only have fractions of a second to grab a user's attention before they give up and move on. But lowering latency doesn't have to be complicated or expensive. Zenlayer offers on-demand edge services in over 150 POPs around the world with expertise in fast-growing emerging markets. Whichever Zenlayer edge services you choose to lower latency, you'll find the result is a happier, more engaged user base. Visit zenlayer.com edge to learn more.